Well, we're going to hear from two parts of the Bible today. The very beginning and the very end, just like the end of one year is over and the beginning of a new one is starting. Uh, but first, let me just observe that uh, maybe especially for the younger among us, the beginning of a new year is quite a happy and optimistic thing, right? Sense of freshness, a blank page, and optimism that maybe some really great stuff is going to happen in 2016. Maybe there's going to be the creation of something new. Maybe I'll make something, think something, do something that I've never done before. Now, in general, we human beings are uh, we're really amazed and have a sense of lightness about what other people are able to create. For example, a member of this church fashioned this cross that I'm wearing out of some scrap copper. I'm amazed by this. How do people do this make stuff? Some people have the gift of starting a business. Where there was no business, there becomes a business, right? Other people are inventors. Al Gore invented the internet. Once there was no internet, now there... I don't know why I said that. Nothing against Al Gore, really. But... This building, once this building was not here, and now it's here, and it's an amazing place. Um, we've been here for seven and a half years. There was a trumpet player here over Christmas. Every time he comes in here, he's like, this is the greatest room. One of my oldest sisters uh, was here for the first time not too long ago, and she literally was wandering outside in the lobby just with her head pointed up at the ceiling like, I can't believe what an awesome church this is. Like, we're amazed by creativity. But here's the thing. Who made the trees from which the wood that was harvested that went into making this building? Right? Who made those? Who made the rocks that went into the cement that was poured into the foundation of this place? Right? Who made the planet where the rocks that were ground into the cement that went into the foundation? Like, who made that? There's only one to two possibilities, folks. One is that stuff just happens, right? And that through some random accident, like all the material stuff that is in the universe just, it always was, it, can, it comes together and then it expands and it contracts and expands and like we just ended up with this. Who knows why? That takes a leap of faith to think that, right? That just stuff exists. It also takes a leap of faith to go with the other theory, which is behind all this stuff. There is an intelligence, but more than that, a well-ordered mind, but more than that, a self-giving heart, but more than that, a life-giving, love-giving spirit, and we call all of that God. And it takes a leap of faith to believe in God, right? But that, as people of faith and in this place, this is what we think, that of all the amazing creativity that exists, and that comes out of human beings that add the foundation of all of it is God the creator. God is a creator. Will you say this with me? God is a creator. The very first words in the Bible say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing. There was God, eternally happy as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing else. And then God 
created. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, I have read even unbelieving scientists who have said, you can find no four better words to explain the creation of the universe than these four words. Let there be light. And how awesome that God gave them to a nomadic Hebrew-speaking shepherd 1,500 years before Christ. We still have no better language to explain the moment of creation than let there be light. Because God spoke and everything came into being, as people of faith, we can affirm that the life we live in the body, it's good because God spoke it into being. The life that we have in 2016, it's good because God made it to be. Space and time, the material universe, all the stuff that we don't see, dark matter, it's all good because God spoke it into being. Christians have thought this for 2,000 years. In the first line of the Apostles' Creed, which has been around since one generation after Jesus, the very first line goes like this. Will you read it with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The very first thing we can say about God before we say anything else is that he's a creator. Hopefully this sounds like good news. It's probably a reminder for most folks in this place, but God is not only a creator. Okay, if you read the first couple chapters of the Bible, it's all good and sunny and everything is working together well and harmoniously, but by chapter three, human beings, you and I, really mess everything up. Okay, it's on us. The trouble, the pain, the sickness, the deconstruction of anything, that is on us. It's not on God. Now, God had a choice. As a creator, he could have just let everything devolve and fall apart. He could have left us to our own devices. But throughout the whole rest of the scriptures, it becomes clear that God is not only a creator, he is also a re-creator. You say this with me. God is a re-creator. This is even better news for messed up people like us than that God is a creator, that God is a re-creator. The heart of God is compelled to make things new. So to hear, to hear the heart of God in this, we're going to go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, where God's word says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The sea being a place of um, kind of natural terror where, where the power of nature can overwhelm and destroy us. No longer any nature out of control. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, who speaks from the throne, by the way, who sits on the throne, Jesus, this is Jesus' voice at the end of ages saying, look, 
It's a loud voice. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And thank God that the Apostle Paul did write this down. Apostle John did write this down. Because we have this, and this is really good news. Great promises from God. When Jesus ascended, he said, Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Never will I leave you or forsake you. And here's the promise of God at the very end of the Bible saying, God is never going to leave us. He is going to make his dwelling among people like us forever. And he is promising a place where there is no more fear, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. Does anybody else want to go there? That sounds pretty good. I'm living in my fifth decade, and not that much horrible stuff has happened, but I've tasted death. I've cried my share of tears. I hurt more and more. The bigger my heart and mind get, the more I experience the pain of the world. I can't wait for something better going on. Now, there's a phrase mixed in here. I am making all things new that I really want to put a fine point on. Because in this Christmas season, and in the turn of a new calendar year, we're kind of in a season of new things, right? As a kid, this is the great thing about Christmas. You get some new stuff, right? Nobody got new stuff? Okay, you got some new stuff. Okay, we're really into new things, right? We love this, new clothes, new car, old car, bad, new car, great. God, this is not what makes the heart of God mm, beat fast. Just making new things. He made everything new once. What makes the heart of God beat is making old things new. Making all things new. Do you feel the difference here? God is not into just scrapping everything and making all new things. He is into making all things new. I hope this feels like good news because you are not yet perfect. Right? God could wipe out a lot of us and create a whole bunch of perfect people. That would make his life much, much easier. But God is into making you new. God is into making you new. God is really into working with my junky raw material and making me new. This is what... God's big project for the universe is all about all things new. And if we feel at all optimistic about the turn of the page of the calendar, it can be from the perspective of faith because we can just kind of smell a hint that God himself 
is in the recreating business. So here's the good news, I hope, for 2016 as we enter it, that God is recreating you and me in 2016. Will you say this with me? God is recreating you and me in 2016. Now, most of our New Year's resolutions do not have to do with cooperating with God's recreating work. I don't think. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. Most of my resolutions over life have either had to do with improving my own uh, physical or health or material well-being. Right? Like, I'm going to get a better job in 2016, or I'm going to you know, run a half marathon in 2016. These are not bad things. This is just how we operate. The reason I bring this up is because I want you to be happy and joyful in 2016. Okay? Um, and here, here's the plain truth. If you are struggling to pay your bills sitting here today, that is not a happy, it's a very high anxiety position to be in. I have been there in life. There is not much peace in not having enough money to know how you're going to eat and pay your bills. Right? Most of us sitting here in the western suburbs, however, like once you have enough money to do that and put a roof over your head, like it doesn't matter if you have $8,000 in the bank or $80,000 or $8 million or $800 million. Like the level of happiness based on your savings does not ratchet up incrementally along with the numbers. Once you can take care of your basic needs, like you don't get that much happier after that. If you are healthy enough to be sitting here today, I deem you a healthy person. Like, God bless you. Like, if you have such poor health that you cannot get out of bed or feed yourself, that is a fearsome and anxiety-producing situation, right? But whether you can just walk to the mailbox or run to the mailbox or run a 5K or run a 10K or run a marathon or run an ultra-marathon, like, your happiness does not ratchet up with every physical achievement you're able to obtain. If you can do what you're called to do, basically, and be up, that's a pretty happy situation. And yet, we make all these resolutions thinking that a physical improvement or a material improvement will lead to untold experiences of happiness for us. And it's just plain false. You hearing me on this? What will lead to happiness in your life in 2016, I believe this to my toes, is if you have an increasing sense that God is involved in your life, that he cares about you, that he cares about you so much that he is involved in the nitty-gritty of your life, recreating you out of love. That, if you're able to grasp it by faith and grow in that, that will make you more joyful and abidingly peaceful in 2016. Now, I'm not, I wish I could stand up here and say, like, you know, in order to have that happen, God is just going to bless your socks off in 2016. I think the Southerners say that sometimes. God is going to bless y'all socks off. <laughs> I'm a bad pastor today, making fun of Southerners and El Gore all at once. <laughs> I can't say that. It's not true. Some of us are going to experience great things in 2016. Unexpected, unasked for, beyond us, that, that is true. 
Some of us are going to experience just uninvited, difficult things in 2016. We're going to experience ugly things, sicknesses that we didn't ask for, losses. Quite possibly some of us sitting here on January 3, 2016 will not be here on January 3, 4, 2017. And it's not because some of us have better faith. It's just because we live in a broken world that sin has entered. But in any and every case, whether what's coming for you is good or difficult in 2016, I know this. God can lead you into the path of something deeper and more abiding if you have the sense that he has not left the building, that he has not left the room of your life, that he is there abiding with you and doing something recreative, even in the face of death. This is what God and God alone can do. I'm going to tell you a little story about a disease called Bell's palsy. Uh, The reason I've chosen this disease is because I don't know anybody in our congregation or community that currently has this, okay? And I don't want to pick on anybody. Having said that, I would like to, I would like you to insert into this story whatever it is that is troubling you or bothering you or nagging you or hurting you today, okay? Because the story is going to be about God's recreative power. Bell's palsy is a virus that affects a nerve that runs from your temple down to your jaw. It comes on suddenly as a result of getting this virus, and it freezes or paralyzes the nerves on one side of your face. So the woman on the screen, on your right, she is smiling. Okay, That is the fully operational side of her face. On your left is the Bell's palsy nerve frozen side of her face. She can no longer smile. What's even more difficult about this is this Bell's palsy disease usually freezes the nerves all the way around your eye so that you can't even blink. You have to tape your eye shut so that your eye doesn't dry out and figure out a creative way to even sleep at night. It's a disease that for 80% of people or so your body heals and rectifies itself, maybe over the course of 100, 200 days, sometimes a little longer. But for maybe around 15% of people, you never get over the disease, and the, the face stays paralyzed in this position. I do have a friend on the West Coast right now who was driving her car a couple months ago, drinking a cup of coffee, put her coffee down, looked in the rearview mirror, and thought, am I having a stroke? What is happening to me? Pulled over the side of the road, called 911. First person who saw her said, you have Bell's palsy. I mean, in the course of five minutes, she went from just regular life, no symptoms, to full-on facial nerve frozen. Now, this is a condition that makes people stare at you, right? Like if you go out and my friend has decided, hey, I have this thing, I'm going to keep living my life, right? 
people stare at you. They wonder, what? Is this person having a stroke right now? What kind of disability do they have? But living with this for a few weeks might cause one to have this thought. This is a somewhat redemptive thought. You know, I don't look like I used to look. But I can still do pretty much everything that I really need to do. It's more difficult to sleep, it's more difficult to brush my teeth, it's more difficult to eat, granted, right? I can still work at my job, I can still love my spouse, I can still read the scripture, I can still sing, I can still take care of my children. Maybe I've taken a little too much confidence over the course of my life in what I look like. Because now that I don't even look like myself, I can still work and function and love the way that I'm meant to. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Here's another redemptive thought, if one were to have Bell's palsy. One might begin to understand the lives of others who look different from most of us all the time. If you have Bell's palsy, maybe you would start to wonder, what would it be like to be a burn victim and to have scars for your entire life? What would that be like? What would it be like to be somebody who's 7'6", or 3'10", on the other hand, somebody who's so tall or so short that every time they walk in the room, people are like, whoa, or what? Like, what would life be like if that was every room you ever walked into? What would life be like if it was a different color or race than one's majority surroundings? If you have Bell's palsy, people, for all the wrong reasons, pay attention and stare at you. And the worst thing about being perceived to have a disability is that people not only stare at you, but they stare at you with pity in their eyes. Right? Someone with Bell's palsy does not want to be pitied. Most folks who have what we would identify as a disability don't want to be pitied, whatever their condition might be. They just want to be treated like a regular human being. And my friend with Bell's palsy knows this deeply now. And the way she engages with people that she perceives to be struggling with this, that, or the other thing has totally changed because her sense of wisdom and her sense of compassion is growing exponentially because of this facial nerve that got frozen in her face. Who would want Bell's palsy? Right? Nobody. But don't you, don't you want to be more compassionate? Don't you want to be wiser? Don't you want to be more grateful for the good things that are in your life? Why is it, church, why is it that when everything is going so well for us, we just take it for granted? I wish this wasn't true about my silly human heart, but it is. When things are going smoothly, you're so ungrateful. And then when trials come, oh, 
Then we see what's what. Through Bell's palsy, a person could receive these great gifts. Wisdom, compassion, gratitude. And it could be in 2016 that God might be in the business of recreating us in similar fashion. It'd be great if we were open to being recreated by having the socks blessed off ourselves. But most of us aren't that clever. But it could be that God teaches us in 2016 about wisdom and compassion and gratitude. Maybe God is going to recreate us through a time that we do struggle to pay the bills. Maybe there is going to be an accident or illness that comes into our life. And maybe God could use that. God isn't going to cause it. God doesn't want to hurt us or make us suffer. But it's God's business to use the difficulty of this world to recreate us. It's this particular miracle and magic. The struggle of paying college tuition. Cancer. I would not put it past God to use any kind of difficulty to recreate me or you. I imagine God could have thought of other ways to accomplish this, but his chosen way is to step into the middle of pain and then work with that. What we just celebrated at Christmas is God literally stepping out of heaven and into a stable, into an animal feeding trough. And yet we even try to sanitize that, right? But it's the message of Christmas that God is coming in the midst of our crud, and that's the way that we are going to be renewed and recreated. If there's another way and another plan, I don't know about it. That's the bad news and the good news. I'm going to read again from the end of Revelation 21. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God is recreating all things. And to those who are thirsty for it, he is going to do just that. So the lingering question here is, as a believer, as a person of faith, Are you hungering and thirsting for God's recreative work in your life? Do you want it? It's a scary prospect, right? Seriously, it takes spiritual courage to say, yes, I want that. Because then whatever's coming to do it, you're opening the window for that. I mean, a big part of me, just bless me in 2016. Thank you for laughing. Like we all think it. But there's enough of me at this point in my spiritual life that I think, I think I can honestly stand before you today and say, 
more than just being blessed. I want God to do something new inside me to restore, to recreate, to heal, and to have enough faith to believe that that would be even better than just receiving a stack of blessings. It is the blessing to be renewed and recreated by God. That is the blessing. Notice what Jesus says from the throne. He says, it is done, or it is finished. Remember one other time that Jesus said those words? It is finished with his dying breath when his mission on earth was done. When love bled its last drops on a cross, it is finished. And at the end of the ages, Jesus once again says about his mission to make everything in heaven and earth new, it is finished. And friends, that day is not yet here. But it is coming. It might be coming quickly. And 2016 will be a good, good year no matter what happens if our ears are tuned to listening to the echoes of that great day and if our eyes are peeled to looking for premonitions or reflections of that great day, if you can see and hear anything that resounds with the new heaven and the new earth, it will be a good year for you, no matter what. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are not only the maker of all things, but you are the recreator of all things. And we thank you so much that you did not leave us in our sin and brokenness. You did not leave the universe to unwind, but you are making all things new. Oh God, give us grateful hearts and wise eyes so that we can see what you want to do in our little lives and so that we can do all in our power to cooperate with your agenda. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, um, a couple announcements before we receive an offering. Um, first, over the last five weeks or so, we've had weekly budget updates and uh, do not have final numbers for you at this point, but I can say this, God is good all the time. Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church is an exceedingly uh, generous congregation, and uh, I, as one of your pastors, with a little bit of inside knowledge but not exact numbers, standing here today, I'm smiling. <laughs> like, life is good here. Okay? Um, secondly, in the worship folder today, there's a short announcement that says that Rev is due for a knee replacement surgery tomorrow. Um, that has been bumped back and uh, delayed indefinitely at this point. Um, if you've ever had a major surgery and got almost to the point where you're going to have that surgery, you know the feeling of like gearing up and sort of girding yourself for that. And now that has been bumped for Rev, so please pray for him, his patients, and that this can happen sooner rather than later in his life. He really, he needs a new knee. Um, third, the next four weeks in worship, we are going to continue a little tradition of a congregational book study. Um, this year's book is called Mere Christianity by an Englishman named C.S. Lewis. There are books for sale in the lobby after church today. You can find a free PDF version online um, if you're a cheap person. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
We are not going to read the entire book. We are going to read the first two big sections, or the first ten chapters of the book, over four weeks. For next Sunday's worship service, if you come having read the first two chapters of that book, um, you will be very well prepared. It's not mandatory homework, but it'd be a great way to prepare for worship and participate in the uh, discussion. Now, church is all about expanding our spirit. Um, This book surely will expand our faith life. It's also going to be a little bit of a challenge to your mind. So if you read those first two chapters and are like, oh man, I need to go back to school, you won't be the only person. Okay? But God is interested in our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this book is going to help us do all of that. All right, invite the deacons forward. Encourage uh, you as a church to be generous. Continue to be generous as we have been. Listen to a great song from the band.